0: السلام عليكم ورحمه الله وبركاته وعليكم نحمد ونصلي على رسوله الكريم اما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم وبشرح لي صدري ويسر لي امري واحلل عقدتي من لساني يلقه قولي ربنا Do you know how long this chapter is this kitab is it's quite long How much importance is given to wudu in general not that much We just think it's sufficient to know that, okay, this is how you're supposed to perform wudu and that's it. But we see that a big portion of this book is dedicated entirely to wudu. Because wudu is related to many other things. It's related to tahara, cleanliness, right? There is some sunan, there are mustahibat, So all of those things are mentioned in this kitab. We were learning about the fact that wudu cannot be replaced with mash in the sense that a part of the body that has to be washed in wudu' then you cannot wipe it. What's the evidence for that? The hadith in which the Prophet ﷺ said وَيْلٌ min مِنَ The whole foot has to be washed so a part of it you cannot wipe it. You have to wash all of it. There has been some discussion amongst the scholars concerning things like casts or band-aids and all of that. So basically wounds. How should a person perform wudu' when he is in a situation like that. Imam al-Bahqi, he said that nothing has been proven from the Prophet ﷺ on this topic. Meaning there's nothing that we find clearly mentioned in the sunnah concerning how to wash, let's say, your hand or your arm, if there's a bandage on it, if there's you know, a splint on it, something like a cast, right? Or a brace that a person is wearing. So there's nothing proven in the sunnah. There's nothing mentioned in the sunnah. And we see that Imam Bukhari, he is of the opinion that The entire limb, the entire skin has to be washed. No part of it can be left dry. But other scholars, those who came after the Prophet ﷺ, until today in fact, they have given some other views, which inshallah I will mention today, because there is definitely ease in this. Abdullah ibn Umar is reported to have performed wudu once, when his hand was bandaged. Okay, His hand was bandaged and he performed wudu. And the dressing the bandage He wiped his hand over it And all of the rest of the limb He washed it So there's only one action There are some other narrations Which are weak But there's, this is only one action of who? A younger companion of the Prophet But the fuqaha who came later They have said That when there is a wound On the skin of a person Then there are several scenarios One is that The wound is not covered Okay, It's exposed And if it is washed, it will not be harmed. So let's say you get a cut on your finger and you don't even have time to put a band-aid on it and with that hand you're still washing dishes and you're still, you know, cooking and all of that. Does that happen generally? Yeah, it happens all the time. Likewise, there is a burn or something. Some people take very great care of their wounds and burns, but other people are very negligent. So anyway, if it can be left exposed and if it is made wet, it's not going to harm the skin. Then what is a person supposed to do? He has to wash it when performing wudu. Another scenario is that the wound is covered. Okay, the wound is covered with a band-aid or whatever. And it will be harmed if you wash it. So if you wash it, it will be harmed. But you can wipe it with wet hands. Like for example, if you have a cut on your finger. If you pour running water over your finger, you know, the wound is going to get extremely wet the band-aid or whatever bandaging you have, it's going to get wet and you can't put that band-aid on yourself. It's a very complicated thing that the doctor did. You had to go to the emergency, for example. So if you pour running water over it, what's going to happen? It's going to ruin the dressing and it's also going to harm the wound. So in that case, what should a person do? He can wet his hands and just make that area wet with his hands. Because the objective is to make the entire area wet so he can make as much area as possible wet with his wet hand another scenario is that it is not covered okay it is not covered but will be harmed by both washing and wiping meaning if even a drop of water touches it that wound could get affected you know it could get worse so in that case what should a person do he should just do tayammum he should not wash it there's nothing on it he should not wash it he should not wipe it he should not wipe it over the bandage nothing he should just do tayammum another case is that it is covered okay with a bandit or or something like that and a person can wipe over that and it's not going to harm the wound it's not going to harm the bandaging then there's no harm he can just wipe over it but other scholars have said that if the band-aid is too big okay then in that case you're leaving out a major significant portion of the body dry. So in that case, what's the other option? Just do tayammum. So if it's a small band-aid, then there's no harm. You can just wipe over it, you can remove it, wash the rest of the area. But if it's a big area, like your hand, you're wearing a brace on it, you're wearing a cast on your hand, then you can't just leave the entire arm dry. Or you can't just wash the elbow and the fingertips and leave the rest of the area dry. No. Then the other option is you just do because it's a significant portion that will be left dry. And we know that how particular some scholars were, that even if the area was covered by a ring, they would take it off, they would move it around. So a person should take care concerning this matter. Any question? Anything that's unclear? Let's continue. Iltimas, what does iltimas mean? That's mas. Mas is touch what is iltimas any word that you can think of from the quran that mentions of a slightly different form of this word lamastum that's lumps this is iltamasa faltamisu faltamisu nurakum faltamisu meaning look search find go get your light yourself so iltimas to find to search for something. So to search for al-wadu'i, the water for performing wudu', إذا حانت الصلاة, when the time of salah has come. حانت, it became time. Heen, okay. So in other words, looking for water for wudu' when the time for the prayer has entered. In other words, is it permissible to start looking for water after the time has come or should a person look for water from before? What do we think? That you have to have it from before. And if you know that you won't have water somewhere, don't go there. Or if you know that there's no masjid somewhere, then don't go there. But Imam Bukhari is telling us over here that you are only obligated to look for water when the time for salah has come. Before that you're not obligated. Okay, before that you're not obligated. And this is the reality. Until the time of salah has come, you're not obligated to worry about that salah. Once it comes in, then you're obligated to pray and then you will be held accountable concerning it. It is best that a person is, you know, proactive from before he knows that, you know, the time of prayer will come in very soon and he should have water available for that. But it's not mandatory on a person. Because we know that person has to pray every day, five times a day. And if a person is always concerned about the water for the next Salah, then he won't be able to do anything else. Likewise, if a person is concerned about praying, then he won't be able to do anything else. So when the time for Salah comes in, then you're obligated to pray, and then the other obligations will fall upon you as well. However, if a person is able to have water from before, then this is something that's highly encouraged. If a person is able to make preparations from before, then this is something that's highly encouraged. For example, you have to travel somewhere And you know that the flight is Right at the time of Maghrib Right at the time of Maghrib So you said that, no You know what, it's going to be difficult for me to pray in the plane So I might as well take the later flight When I will have prayed Maghrib and Isha And then I can go and have a longer you know, And I won't have to worry about any prayer until Fajr And I will be at my destination before that time It's best to do that You have the option, you can afford it Go ahead But if you can't, it's not forbidden upon you to take that flight at Maghrib time because the other solution is there which is that you combine Maghrib and Rishah, that you pray in the plane. So that when that option is there, then we should not make things difficult upon ourselves. Likewise, for Wudu, you should have water. But it doesn't mean that you're carrying cans of water in your car wherever you go. It's not obligatory in you to do that. And if let's say the time of prayer comes in And you don't have water available And you're looking for water And in that process half an hour goes by 45 minutes goes by Then are you sinful for that? You're not sinful Let's say you don't find water at all And you have to do tayammum Is that okay for you? Of course it's okay You're not doing anything less You should not have any guilt in your heart aisha tu And aisha She said subhu. Hadarat, it had come, it had approached what? The morning. The morning had already approached Faltumi Salmau and then the water was searched for. Falam Yujad, and then it was not found. Fanazalat Then the verses concerning tayammum were revealed. And this happened when the Prophet ﷺ and the companions everyone's travelling. And in the night when they slept, they did not have water. They knew that Salatul Fajr was going to come and they were going to have to do wudu for that. But they didn't sleep with water at hand. They slept and at Fajr time, when the morning had already approached, they were looking for water then. They weren't looking in the night. When were they looking for it? In the morning, when the time of Fajr had come. So they did not find any water. It wasn't said that why did you not find water from before? You should have found it and kept it with yourself from before when you knew that the time of Fajr would come. And you're traveling and you don't have water. So at that time when they had no water, what happened? They couldn't find any water. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed the verses concerning the tayammum. So this shows that it is permissible that a person does not have water from before. Okay, That he can start looking for water when the time comes in. حدثنا عبد الله بن يوسف قال أخبرنا مالك عن إسحاق بن عبد الله بن أبي طلحة عن أَنَسَ بن مالك أنه قال He said رأيت رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم I saw the messenger صلى الله عليه وسلم وحانت Asri. العصر and it had approached the time had come in the time for what had come in العصر الناس. then the people searched for الوضوء, the water for performing wudu. So the people started looking for water. And then they did not find it. الله الله so it was brought to the messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam with some water for performing wudu. The people had a little bit of water and they brought that to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa Why do you think they brought it to him? So that he could perform wudu at least. That's all the water that they had. So they gave priority to him. They gave preference to him. فَوَضَعَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى Then he placed What did he place? فِي ذَلِكَ In that container Yadahu his hand So he put his hand in the water وَأَمَرَ النَّاسَ And he commanded the people أَن That they perform wudu from it From what? From the water in which he had put his hand In which he had submerged his hand قَالَ أَنَسِ Malik He said for Ritul then I saw the water Yambu, it was gushing out. Mintahti from beneath Al his fingers. Hata until Tawad Bau, they all performed Wudu Minindi him, to even the last of them. He submerged his hand into the water, and the water started gushing out of the container and and the Prophet ﷺ told the people to perform wudu and every single individual until the last person performed wudu from that water. SubhanAllah. This was a miracle. This was a miracle that was given to the Prophet ﷺ. It was performed by him by the permission of Allah Taala. And Musa ﷺ, he was given a similar miracle as well. What was that? That he struck the stone with the staff and what came out? Twelve springs came out. The Prophet ﷺ put his hand in the bowl of water and water gushing out of the bowl. But which miracle is greater? Which one do you think is greater? The 12 springs gushing out of the rock or water coming out of the bowl? Huh? The water coming out of the bowl. How is it greater? Is it normal for water to gush out of a rock? Yes. It is normal. But it's not normal that from a bowl, water is just gushing out. From underneath fingers, water is gushing out. This is not something normal. Likewise, when the stone, when the rock is attached to the ground, then you can think of it like that, that there is some source underneath from where the water is coming. But when that bowl is in the hand of the Prophet wasallam it's not on the ground. Then where is that water coming from? Where is it coming from? This was barakah, right? This is barakah. More out of less. That apparently it seems very less, but there is much more that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes out of that. So it was a little bit of water, but everyone performed wudu with that. And this is the reason why some scholars have said that every miracle that was given to any Prophet of Allah, the Prophet ﷺ was given something similar or better. He was given something similar or better. Every miracle. And for every miracle, you will find something in the life of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam that shows that he was given something better. So, he was the last messenger. He was the final messenger. And people said that, you know, show us an ayah, show us a miracle. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did show miracles through the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So anyway, we see in this hadith that the people began looking for water after the time of Asr had, Come in. They weren't looking for it before, and because the time they were running out of time, they were obviously getting worried. Whatever they had, they brought it to the Prophet ﷺ, and then this miracle happened. Now, remember that when the time for prayer has come in, it is mandatory upon a person that he has to look for water. He cannot say that, "Oh, I have no water, so I'm just going to do tayammum." No, you have to look around. You have to search. For example, a person says, okay, we are, you know, on this road trip, we're driving on this very empty, deserted road, there are no gas stations, but what are you obligated to do? Look a little bit at least. How? Look on the map, look on the GPS, where is the closest gas station? Okay, go in that direction if it's not too far away. And then go there, perform wudu, and pray salah. And before the time comes in, a person is not obligated. But when the time comes in, he is obligated. And he has to look for the water actively. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَلَمْ تَجِدُوا مَاءً If you do not find water, then فَتَيَمَّمُ And we know that you can only find something upon searching for it. It can't just come to you like that. You have to search for it. Now, there is one question. Should a person keep looking for water until... The end of that time for that particular prayer? Until when should he look? Until when should he look? For five minutes, for ten minutes, one hour? How long should he look for water? When should he give up basically? Until the last moments of that salah? Hmm? There are two opinions concerning this. One is that if a person expects to find water before the time of that salah ends, then he should wait. So for example, these days, Asr is around 4 o'clock, a little after 4, around 4.20. And Zuhr comes in at about 1 o'clock, 1 something. You realize at 1 o'clock, it's Zuhr time, you start looking for water, you don't find any. You know that you will be home by about 3.30 inshallah. You know that for sure by 3.30 you will be home. By that time you will get home. So should you just do tayammum? And pray at 1.30 Or should you wait until 3.30 Get home and then pray Hmm. Some scholars have said that If you expect to find water Within that time Then what should you do Wait Then you should wait until 3.30 And go home Perform wudu and pray Even if it's You know near the end Of that time period I mean obviously It's not salat at the best time But it is within the valid time So it is okay And it's an exceptional situation other scholars say that no, a person can do tayammum regardless of whether he expects to find water or not. Why? Because a hadith tells us that فَأَيُّمَا رَجُلٍ مِنْ Ummati أَدْرَكَتُ الصَّلَاةَ فَلْيُصَلِّ That when the time of salah comes in, then a person should pray, meaning he should pray as soon as possible. So even though he expects to be home by 3.30, what should he do? He should do tayammum and pray if he finds that community. Because if he waits until 3.30, you never know what might happen. He might end up in traffic, You know, as soon as he gets home, maybe something else, you know, occupies him immediately and before he knows, the time of salah has gone completely. So, he has the time, he is able to pray at 1.30, but he doesn't find water, then he can just do tayammum and pray. There's no harm. One more question. Let's say a person performed tayammum and he prayed. And after some time he found water. And it is still time for zuhr. He has to pray zuhr. He prayed zuhr with tayammum and He found water after that. Does he have to perform wudu and repeat his salah? No, he does not. He does not need to do that. Why? Because salah with tayammum is as valid as salah with wudu. Remember that salah with tayammum is not any less. Because some people, they don't feel comfortable performing tayammum. They say that, no, 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 this is not complete purification. Or this is not, I mean, obviously, in wudu there is kasratul amal. There's more action compared to tayammum. So it is different. But your salah is valid with tayammum as well. Okay, So don't have any guilt when you're praying. Salah with tayammum. Likewise, a person may be ill or they, for whatever reason they're not able to perform wudu, they pray with a heavy heart as if they're doing something less. Remember, this is a part of the sharia. This is something that Allah revealed. So it means that it's completely valid. And even when you do tayammum, you get reward. So when you have to pray with tayammum, do so without any heaviness or any guilt in your heart. Alma, the water, اللذي, that which, bihi, it was washed with. What was washed with it? Shahrul insan, the hair of a person. Meaning, a person washed his hair, and the water that was used for washing the hair, Okay, It's in a bowl, let's say it got collected in a bowl So let's say you have really long hair You put a bowl under your hair And then you're pouring water on top And whatever water you poured on your hair It got collected in the bowl I know you would never do that But let's say Can you do wudu with that water? You might say it has soap in it Okay, Let's say there's no soap in it There's no shampoo, nothing It's just water Can you do wudu with that water? Yes you can But let's say your hair was actually dirty and I'm not talking about the oiliness of the hair or the dandruff in your hair. No. I'm talking about, let's say, there's actually some filth that got onto your hair. So when you poured water, obviously that water has filth on it. Is that water clean? Can you do do with that? No. But if there's no filth on the hair, it's just oily or whatever, and you washed it, you rinsed it. Even if you used soap and that water is soapy, as long as the ingredients of that soap are halal, that water is clean. You can do Wudu' with it. You can actually wash yourself with it as well. So, in other words, this water is Tahir. Okay, it is Tahir. And that shows that hair is also Tahir. Because what has been affected by Tahir is Tahir. Or something has affected Tahir, it remains Tahir. So water affected clean hair, that water remains Clean, clean water affected clean hair, that water will still be clean. You won't say that, no, no, it's dirty. So you can actually recycle, reuse that water. But if the smell is just because of the the soap, okay, or it's just because of the oiliness of the hair, then there's no harm in that. Okay, because it's a natural thing. It's not something that is unclean. With regards to the smell and the color, that is a different case. Okay, that's a different case. Like, for example, if there's a bowl of water and something falls into it, the color changes, the smell changes, and obviously it will not be clean. Now remember that there are two types of water. There are two types of water. One is tahir and mutahir, and the other is najis and munajis. First type, tahir, mutahhir, clean and pure and purifying, meaning it is clean and it can also be used for purification. It is clean and it can also be used for purification. And the other is dirty, filthy, and if touched, if used, it will also make filthy. There is no third category. There is no third category. So if some water is clean, remember you can also do wudu with it. And if some water is dirty, then you cannot do wudu with it. If you touch it, then your hand has to be cleaned. If it falls on you, then you have to clean yourself. So for example, water that is there by washing the hair, is that tahir? Yes. Is it mutahir? Yes. Let's say there is some drainage pipe, okay, there's water leaking out of that, is that tahir? No, it's najis. But if let's say you stepped into it, is your shoe clean, is your foot clean? No. It is also munajis, right? So your foot will also become unclean, so you have to clean it. So there's either Tahir Mutahir or Najis Munajis. Now over here Imam Bukhari mentioned some Athar and what are Athar? Statements of? Who? The Sahaba and after them, the Tabirin and all of that. So he mentions over here some Athar, some statements which prove certain points. Okay, and inshallah we will discuss them. Wakana يرى, he would not see, he would not consider with it Batsan any harm and Yuta Minha that it should be made from it, from what? From human hair Al threads والحبال, and ropes. عطاء, تابعي, he did not think that there was any problem in making strings, in making ropes, in making threads out of human hair. Why is this being mentioned? To prove that human hair is tahir. Okay? So for example, if a person cuts off their hair from their head and it's very long and they're using it to make a rope or something like that, is that permissible? Yes, it would be permissible. It's not filthy. Okay? It's not filthy. It's not, hair is not unclean. Because typically what people think is that if there's something that you've discarded from your body, then it is Considered unclean But this hair from your head It's not unclean So if for example you have a hair You happen to find a hair on your hand Then is your, you, do you have to wash your hand? No, because some people are very finicky When it comes to hair If they will find it in food or something They will not even eat anything out of that food Yes, it is something that It's not pleasing, obviously Something that you are naturally repulsed to But it doesn't mean that you throw all that food away And remember that when that food has been cooked, it reached boiling temperatures. So inshallah, any germs, whatever, they have been killed. Okay. So just remove that hair or remove the part surrounding that hair and eat the rest of it without any guilt. Inshallah. Unless there are too many hair, then there's a problem. So anyway, he did not think that there was any problem in making strings or threads or whatever out of human hair. And khuyut is the plural of khayt And it's used for threads and strings that are thin And hibal plural of habl Ropes that are thick okay, So khuyut are thin and hibal are thick you No, know, we would wonder that Why would a person do that anyway When you have limited resources Then you have to do these things I'm sure you've heard of that story Of course it's not a true story that Rapunzel yeah that she cut off her hair and made a rope with it, or whatever, and he would climb up with that hair, so anyway, if there is a situation like that, then a person should not think that he touched something dirty, he should not think that he touched something that is nudges, okay there's no harm, but other scholars they did not allow this. You know, making strings and ropes out of human hair. But that was for a different reason, not because hair is unclean, but for a different reason. What is that reason? That this is, you know, humiliating the human beings, that you're using human hair to make ropes and strings from which what is tied? You know, different things are tied. Or animals are tied, and this is not correct because the human body is being humiliated in this way. Wassuril Kilabi, meaning and and this chapter, this Bab, this whole is is the chapter heading, okay? Wasso il Kilabi meaning and Bab of سُؤْرِ الْكِلَابِ وَمَمَرِّهَا فِي الْمَسْجِدِ سُؤْرِ is the بَقِيَّة, the remaining, what has remained, of what a dog has eaten out of or drank out of. وسُؤْرِ الْكِلَابِ كِلَاب is a plural of kalb. I'll tell you an Urdu word, those of you who know Urdu will understand it very quickly, Juta. that if somebody has drunk out of a cup or they have eaten something, then they say, this is my juta meaning I ate out of it. So, as if it's not unclean. I wonder why they use that word anyway. So al kilab, su'l is the baqiyah, the remaining part of the drink or the food that al-kilab that the dogs have eaten out of. So let's say there was a bucket, there was water in it, a dog came and he drank out of it. Now can you use that water to wash yourself? Can you use that water to perform wudu? And they're passing, they're coming and going. Fil masjid, in the masjid. Meaning if a dog comes and passes through the masjid, does the masjid become unclean? Do you have to wash the masjid? Do you have to wash the part where the dog went? So Imam Bukhari is also going to discuss this issue over here. So, so Kilab, Such water, is it najis or not? Inshallah this will be mentioned later as well, but since it's a very vast topic, I'll mention to you some things over here, and the others will be discussed later. When it comes to the water that a dog has drunk out of, remember that it is According to the majority of the scholars, it is najis. It is unclean. Why? Because the Prophet ﷺ instructed that such a vessel, such a container from which a dog has drunk out of, it should be washed how many times? Seven times. And the eighth time with? Mud, with clay, with sand. And if he commanded that it has to be washed, then that means it became dirty. A hadith tells us, which is in Muslim, that if a dog licks the vessel of any one of you, let him throw away whatever was in it and wash it seven times. Another hadith which is also in Muslim tells us that the Prophet ﷺ said the way to purify the vessel of any one of you if a dog has licked it is to wash it seven times. The first time with earth. So the first time with earth and then the following seven times how many times? With water. But some scholars they said that no. It is not najis. It is not unclean. And when the Prophet ﷺ commanded that it should be washed seven times and once with clay this was not because the water or that vessel became unclean. Because if it became unclean, then washing it three times would also be sufficient. If a pig comes and drinks from a bucket, how many times would you have to wash that bucket? Three times. And tell me which one is more nudges. considered more nudges. So they said that no, there has to be some other reason because of which he commanded that it has to be washed seven times. Because washing three times would be sufficient, it would make it clean. But when he said seven, there has to be some other reason behind it. What is that reason? It could be some marnawi reason, some intangible cause. This is just like when a person wakes up from sleep, he's instructed to wash his hands. I mean, you could say, what's on my hands? My hands are clean. Or a person might say, my nose is clean, why do I have to rinse my nose? But what was the reason? That Shaytan leaves his athar in the nose. Because he spends the night over there. So that's why when you wake up, even if your nose is completely clean, what are you supposed to do? Clean your nose. Blow your nose. Likewise, a person performed wudu and he was going to pray, but he just had to go to the washroom quickly and he comes out and he says, I'm not going to do wudu. My arms are still cold or they're still damp. You know, my, I wiped my head and it's still, it's still wet. So why do I have to do wudu? I'm clean. But what do you say? That no, you still have to do wudu because you use the washroom. He might argue that no, I am clean. But what do you say? You don't just have to clean, physically clean yourself to perform wudu, you have to have wudu. So likewise, the scholars have said that there is some other reason here, some ma'nawi reason here that we are not aware of. Allah what it is, because if it was just the filthy part, then that would be clean by washing three times even. And... There's another interesting thing that we learn in the Sira. different reports. They tell us about how many dogs were there in Medina. There were many, many dogs in Medina. And inshallah, we will learn about some ahadith that tell us about how the dogs would come and go in the masjid so frequently. And which is why it's a big issue. Imam Bukhari is talking about, marriha fil الْمَسَاجِدِ They're coming and going in the masjid. So they were very, very, their population was, you can say, a lot in Medina and when there's a lot of dogs in an area then obviously what might happen diseases might spread right especially because they're not going to be vaccinated so disease might spread so allahu a'lam maybe because of that he said that when a dog licks your vessel then you wash it seven times not because it's unclean but because it may be carrying some germs or whatever for which you know something has to be completely sterilized so for sterilization purposes he said that wash it seven times and And once with mud And some reports also tell us The Prophet ﷺ commanded that The dogs be killed And he gave this command two times And then he forbade the people From killing the dogs So some scholars have suggested That this was because There were too many dogs in Medina So to control the population And the spread of disease This is the reason why Some specific instructions were given Concerning the dogs And the other that if they do lick or eat something, that food or that liquid be discarded and that vessel be washed seven times. So some scholars have a different opinion. And that was the opinion of Imam Bukhari as well. That Imam Malik also, that they considered the dog to be clean. Meaning they didn't think that the dog was a big issue. That just as you would treat you know, a cat or a mouse or some other animal, likewise you would treat a dog as well. But other scholars said no. The dog is unclean. And they said that there are three types of najasa. I'm telling you both views. Because you will find the view of Imam Bukhari very surprising. Because typically what's the common understanding amongst Muslims? That dog is unclean. But Imam Bukhari is of the other opinion. Okay, so I'm, I'm explaining both sides to you. So the scholars said that no, the dog is unclean. They said that there are three levels of najasa. There are three levels of najasa. One is the basic level, muhaffafa, light. Okay, minor, minor najasa. And that is the urine of an infant who does not eat solid foods. So if that urine falls somewhere, it's sprinkled somewhere, then what are you supposed to do? Hmm? Just sprinkle a little bit of water and that's it. You don't have to take that entire garment and rinse it and wash it. No, you don't have to bother with that. Likewise, if the urine sprinkled on the carpet, then what do you do? Just dab it dry, you know, with, with something and and take a, a wet cloth or something and just wipe over, and that's sufficient. So this is the first level of najasa. It is still unclean, but it is, it's a very minor level, mukhaffafa The second is mutawassita, mutawasita, And that is, you can say, intermediate. And that is the, you know, human urine, stool, all of that. Okay, what we consider to be unclean. And that you know that you have to wash it off completely. And the third is مغلغة. Extremely, extremely filthy. And that is the najasa of the dog. That is the najasa of the dog. So some scholars said that the dog's najasa is a different category of najasa in itself. And it's the most extreme kind of najasa. Which is why the saliva of the dog is unclean. Which is why if a dog drinks out of something that Liquid will be discarded That pot, that vessel has to be washed Seven times So they said that no, this is Mughalada And with regards to the coming of the dog to the masjid This is something that happened frequently At the time of the Prophet ﷺ Because there is something that is beyond human control If there are dogs Then you can't really prevent them from coming into a place Even now if you go to certain countries, certain places You will see that if there is shade anywhere You will find dogs lying around Sometimes even in the masajid. Because the masajid are open. There are no doors, no gates, no proper walls, no proper windows. So if there's shade over there, if it's cool, and outside it's extremely hot, the dogs will go and sleep there. They will go and rest there. So this is something that happened at the time of the Prophet wasallam as well. And obviously when dogs will rest somewhere, they will sleep somewhere, along with them will come their saliva, and also perhaps they might urinate. So... In that case, what are you going to do? Is the dog unclean or not? So remember that there are two opinions. Some scholars considered the dog and everything concerning it, the saliva, the hair, the urine, obviously everything to be unclean. Other scholars consider it to be completely clean. From saliva to, you know, the whole... Obviously urine is something that's naturally dirty, so you're going to wash it off. That's understood. But there's a third opinion as well, sorry. There's a third opinion as well, and that is that the hair of the dog is clean, but the saliva only is najis. Only the saliva is najis. So for example, you're out walking somewhere, and your neighbor, they have a dog, and the dog really comes close to you, and touches your abaya, then what do you do? Go back home and take off the abaya, and put a fresh one on? No. No. Because the stronger opinion seems, that the entire dog is clean, minus the saliva. Only that is unclean. This appears to be the stronger opinion. and Zuhri said Ida Fi Inain When ولغ. ولغ is, to, is the lick of a dog. So when a dog licks fi inain into a vessel, meaning you came and licked a vessel, ate out of it or drank out of it. Lay and that person whose vessel it was, he does not have any other water except that, لَيْسَ لَهُ وَضُوءٌ غَيْرُهُ He only has that water. يَتَوَضَّأُ بِهِ Then he can perform wudu with it. Strange. Why did he say that? Because he considered it to be clean. He said there is no harm. If the Prophet wasallam said that, wash seven times, discard what was in the vessel, that was because of the overpopulation of the dogs. That was a different reason. And now the population is controlled, and now it's different. Dogs are vaccinated, especially these days. So, this was an opinion amongst the scholars that if a dog licks a vessel, then it's not unclean. You can perform wudu with it if you don't have another option. وَقَالَ سُفْيَانَ And Sufyan, Sufyan al he said, هذا, this meaning this statement of al-Zuhri, الفِقْهُ بِعَيْنِهِ This is fiqh in itself, meaning this is deep understanding. This is not just, you know, that al-Zuhri said just like that. No, there's a reason why he mentioned this statement. And what was the evidence that he used? يَقُولَ اللَّهُ تَعَالَى Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says فَلَمْ تَجِدُ مَاءً فَتَيَمَّمُ If you don't find water Then you do tayammum وَهَذَا مَاءٌ And this is water Although a dog drank out of it But still it is water So this is why You have to do wudu with it وَفِي النَّفْسِ مِنْهُ شَيْءٌ But Sufyan al thawri He said that وَفِي النَّفْسِ And in the nafs minhu From it shay'un something Meaning there is something doubtful about it there is still something doubtful about it. Because, I mean, there are strong evidences on the other side that show that the dog's saliva is unclean. So how could you do wudu with that? So then he said that what should a person do? يَتَوَطَّعُ He can do wudu with that water. وَيَتَيَمَّمُ And he should also do tayammum. He should combine between the two. Wudu and tayammum. Why should he do wudu? Because the water is there Allah says فَلَمْ تَجِدُ مَا أَن But the water is there So he has to do wudu But then why should he do tayammum? Because the water was not clean So it might not be valid So some scholars said that But this doesn't make much sense That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Would make it obligatory on people To combine between two acts of worship Like to perform wudu and tayammum This would become very difficult upon the people And this would leave you in confusion and guilt Correct? And we know that in our deen, you know, we are given sharh sadr concerning every matter. That whatever we do, we should not have haraj. So many times in the Quran it has mentioned, فَلَا جُنَاهَ عَلَيْكُمْ There's no haraj. There's no junah. Why? So that whatever we do, we do it guilt-free. But when a person will combine between wudu and tayammum, he will have confusion in his heart. So, some scholars said that it is not, there is no evidence behind this that a person should combine between wudu and tayammum. So, what should a person do then? He will just do tayammum. He will just do tayammum. He will discard that water. He will not use it, and he will just do tayammum in this case. And this is the opinion of the majority of the scholars. Let's look at the ahadith now. حدثنا مالك بن إسماعيل قال حدثنا إسرائيل عن عاصم عن ابن سيرين قاله سد قلت لعبيدة I said to عبيدة عندنا من شعر النبي صلى الله with us, we have some hair of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. We have some hair of the Prophet. Asabunahu. We got them. We got that hair min qibali anasin. We got it from Anas. Anas bin Malik alayhi Perhaps when he died, he gave it to someone, and he got it from the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So Arbidah, they said that I have some hair that I got through Anas. أَوْ مِنْ أهلي أنس. Or from the side of who? The family of Anas رضي الله عنه فقالا, And then he said لَأَن تكون عِنْدِي If I had شَعْرَةٌ hair Minhu From it أَحَبُّ إِلَيَّ It is more beloved to me مِنَ الدُّنْيَا وَمَا فِيهَا If I had even one hair Of that hair which you have You have some hair If I had even one hair of the Prophet ﷺ, that would be more beloved to me than what? The entire world and whatever that is in it. Why? Because they loved the Prophet ﷺ. Why is Imam Bukhari mentioning this hadith over here to show that hair is clean? It is tahir. Because if it was considered unclean, do you think the sahaba would keep it? Do you think they would pass it on? No. And we know that they would use it to seek barakah from. Meaning they would, you know, put it in water and that water would be used for shifa. As a cure, as a medication. Um Salama, she had a container that was made of silver and she had some hair of the Prophet Sallallahu in it and they would use it for, you know, for barakah. But this is, remember, it's only with the hair of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi and not anyone else. No wali, no abid, no alim. No one besides the Prophet Sallallahu Because his case was different. And remember, this is not shirk. Because you don't think that that hair in itself is divine, but that Allah will, inshallah, put khair, put shifa through that hair. This is just like you take some medication. You don't think that that medicine is the source of shifa. You think that Allah will give you cure through that. The cure is still with Allah. We see here that the hair was tahir, which is why they kept it and they passed it on, and they used it for barakah and shifa. And it just shows the love that the sahaba had, And the Tabirin had And the Tabirin had For the Prophet ﷺ In their lives They valued him And they took care of him And when he died When he passed away Then they had his hair as well Whatever hair they had of his They loved it And they preferred it over the dunya And everything in it But we see that Within Muslims There are two extremes There is the extreme of those people Who were just obsessed with the hair of the Prophet or with his birthday and that's it or his masjid or his city and there are other people who think that no, you should not give any importance to the hair or to the masjid or but you just need to follow the Prophet. But we see that the best example is in who? The companions. That they loved him dearly and they followed him as well. They followed him with utmost respect. And this is something that we need to because ibadah or ittiba' cannot be without emotion it cannot be done without love you know that ibadah is what hub it is love part of ibadah is adoration part of ittiba' is also adoration is also love so just as we have to love allah when worshipping him we have to love the messenger when following him sallallahu alaihi wasallam love and respect both have to be there so this is something that is Important that we must develop in ourselves as well. Love for the Messenger Wasallam. Because if that love is not there, then we know that Iman is insufficient. It is deficient. Because no one can be a perfect believer, can be a good believer, until and unless the Messenger ﷺ is beloved to him. Not just beloved, but more beloved than his wealth, than his family, than himself. Haddathala Muhammad ibn Abdurrahim. Abdurrahim. New name? Hmm? We typically hear Abdul-Rahman, but Abdul-Rahim is also a name. Obviously, slave Abu Al-Rahim. Al-Rahim is of the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. قال أخبرنا سعيد بن سليمان قال أحدثنا عن ابن عن ابن سيرين عن أنس ان رسول الله صلى الله, عليه وسلم, صلى الله عليه وسلم لما when حلق رأسه حلقا When he shaved his head كان أبو طلحة أبو طلحة was أولا first من أخذ من شعري. He was the first of those who took from the hair of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم When he shaved off his hair Abu Talha was the first one who took the hair of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم This happened when? On يوم النحر On the day of sacrifice at Hajj when the Prophet ﷺ shaved his hair, he gave the hair of the right side of his head, all of it to Abu Talha. And the hair of the left side, he gave it to the rest of the people, so they distributed it amongst themselves. Some people got only one hair, other people got two, others got more, and some got none. But half of the hair, the Prophet ﷺ gave to Abu Talha. He let him take it. And why Abu Talha? Allah knows. But there was something special about him. Right, which is why he gave him all that hair. And if the Prophet ﷺ let Abu Talha keep that hair, take that hair, or he gave it himself, that, that means that that hair is tahid; it is clean. And there's no harm in loving that hair. There's no harm in loving that hair. But you have to know that that hair is actually the hair of the Prophet right? Because these days there are many people who claim that they have his hair, but Allahu a'lam if it's actually his hair or not. That love for the Prophet is different from the love that a person should have for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Love for Allah means ibadah. And love for the Messenger means ittiba' following him and defending him. Not tolerating anything against him that people say or people may fabricate. A believer cannot tolerate that. believer can never ever tolerate that if he has love. You know, this is just like if If somebody says something negative about you, would you tolerate that? Would you? Never. If somebody said something negative about your mother, about your father, you would never tolerate that. And if people publicized it, would you tolerate that? No, you wouldn't. You can never like it. So likewise, if something is said against the Messenger ﷺ that is not correct, it doesn't behoove a believer that he is insensitive towards it, that he's not affected by it. No, he will definitely be affected by it and it will move him to do something. And this does not mean that we react in a way that is contrary to the sunnah of the messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam, but that we educate the people more. We educate the people more. And there are a couple of, you know, very beautiful things that I've come across recently, what people are doing to make people aware of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. One thing that I saw in a video was something so beautiful that I really liked. A group of people, they went with roses. And on each rose, they put, you know, a hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, attached to a string, and they just gave it to passersby. Now imagine, you see someone, and you give them a rose, with a, with a nice smile on your face, and obviously they'll be interested, they'll be curious, what's this? Is this a promotion? Some kind of a discount, a big discount for a store or something? So they will definitely look into it. And they will immediately read it, and you're educating them about the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Right. Another thing that I came across something very beautiful was that somebody suggested that we should make videos about the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, you know, something informative about him and every person if they make even if it's an amateur video, it doesn't matter. So that if somebody searches on YouTube or on Google searching about Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam, then they come up with good things as opposed to negative things. And when we watch such videos and when we show them and when we replay them when we forward them then remember that every time you watch it you're increasing the number of times it has been watched you're increasing its popularity. So when people will search it will show up first. Somebody came and asked me that can I watch that video? Can I watch that trailer? I said no way. Don't even consider watching it. How can you? How can you? It's not even true but you can't you know you can't even imagine something like that. Believe me, I was not even tempted to search on the internet to see what that video is, how much it is, you know, how long is it, what's in it. I don't even want to know. And if in any news report it's mentioned, even it's it's described, I skip that paragraph because I can't even read anything like that. You can't. So the first thing is that we don't support such things and instead we do something positive, productive with our time so that when people are actually looking for the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam information about him they actually find something positive see i have it on the disc and it's in two volumes i can share it's so beautiful it was like shown to people at this time basically so with through bbc people were like mashallah they were watching a lot of this thing alhamdulillah because unfortunately we don't write we don't do anything like that we don't prepare any good media so then what will people find only the negative things Again, we should be concerned about our share. Like, what are we doing? Remember, Uthman anhu he said that, I don't want to tell you just like that, but I saw the Prophet wasallam doing wudu do like this. And he said that whoever does wudu do like this, and he prays to rakah, then all his sins will be forgiven. And he said that if it was not for that ayah of the Qur'an, I would not have shared this with you. So what's our responsibility then? That we just remain silent and do nothing? We have to do something, right? إِذَا شَرِبَ الْكَلْبُ When the dog drinks fi إِنَاءِ أَحَدِكُمْ In the container, in the vessel of one of you Then he should wash it seven times. So Imam Bukhari is going to clarify this issue because previously it seemed that he was of the opinion that it's clean. So Imam Bukhari is going to clarify this over here. Abdullah Yusuf Araji Inna Inai Ahadikum when a dog drinks from the container the vessel of one of you, then he should wash it seven times. So why wash it seven times? Why wash it seven times? If the dog is considered nudges, then what's the reason? Because it is muqlava, it's extremely filthy. More than three times, more than four, five times. Why? Because it's extremely filthy. And if it's not considered najis, then why wash seven times? To disinfect it, or for some other ma'rnawi illa that we do not know of. For me, it's Bab number thirty-five. So the thing is that when this book, when it was written by different students of Imam Bukhari and passed on, and even today when it's published okay, by, by different publishers. In numbering the ahadith in numbering the Abuab there have been some differences how that in some places where Imam Bukhari just wrote bab it wasn't supposed to be a different bab it was just supposed to be a subsection of the previous bab but some numbered it as a different bab some Abuab were supposed to be a continuation of the previous like over here bab ida al kalbu. this is connected to the previous so in some books you will find this to be a separate bab and in other books you won't find it. But it's just the way that different people understood it. Remember that the text is the same, okay? just the numbering is different. So it's not that big of an issue inshallah. So why wash the vessel seven times? Because the first reason it's mughaladha and, and the second opinion that for some we're illa that we are unaware of. akhbarana abdul samadi, ibn, Abdullah <laughs> ibn dinarin, an Abi Salihin, on Abi Hurairah, on Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, that anna rajulan, that indeed a man, ra'a kalban. He saw a dog. Ya'kulu, the dog was eating a thara. What is thara? Wa ma tahta thara. Wet soil. Wet mud. So the dog was licking on it was eating wet mud. Why? Minal aqash. From thirst. Fa akhadar rajulu, so the man, he took, khuffahu, his leather sock. فَجَعَلَ, and then he put, then he began, yagrifu lahu, then he, then he scooped up water for him, for the dog, bihi, with it, meaning in that leather sock. حَتَّى أَرْوَاهُ, until he satiated meaning until he gave him enough water so that the dog's thirst was quenched, until the dog was satisfied. فَشَكَرَ So Allah was grateful to him, meaning Allah appreciated him. And because of that, فَأَدْخَلَهُ الْجَنَّةِ Then he admitted him into paradise because of this kind act of his. That he gave water to a dog that was extremely thirsty. How did he give him water? In his leather sock. Why is Imam Bukhari mentioning this over here? Yes, leather socks you wear on your foot. And you can even pray in them, you can do masah on them. So if he gave water to the dog in that leather sock, that means that that sock did not become najis. Do you understand? So he was of that opinion that the dog, you know, the saliva is not necessarily najis. Now this was a long time ago, before the Prophet even So, like I mentioned that, maybe because of the overpopulation of dogs and the fear of disease, that command was given to wash seven times and long time ago, that risk was not there. Allahu A'lam. But other scholars, the other opinion, how do they answer this? They say that this story is not relevant to the issue of the dog's saliva being najis or not. How is it not relevant? Because it's not mentioned in the story whether that man washed his sock after that or not. He may have. Then likewise, the story was not mentioned for this reason to elaborate to us concerning how we should deal with dogs no it was just about kindness towards creatures right that was the objective of the story so this is why some other details that could have been important were left out i mean maybe that man did wash the sock allahu a'lam we don't know maybe he didn't use it after that allahu a'lam because the objective of the story is what that that man gave water to drink the thirsty dog with whatever means that he could and this is what Allah appreciated in him another version of the story what does that tell us that it was a prostitute a woman a woman prostitute now the woman who is a prostitute you would think that she doesn't have much knowledge so even if she gave water to the dog in her leather sock and let's say she continued to wear that sock do you think she was going to pray or something I mean the chances are very low Okay, that she would know about the etiquette of Tahara and all of that. If she knew about the etiquette of Tahara, then obviously, she wouldn't do what she was doing. And besides, this is a story of the people of the past. So Allahu A'lam, right? What happened? So this is why some scholars have disagreed. So he went and he scooped up water for it. Yes, so again and again he went, scooped up water with it, and gave the water to the dog to drink. So every time it went, you know, he dipped the sock into the water to take water out. So in that process, the sock became clean. And Allahu A'lam, at the end, he may have washed it. So this is why some scholars have said that this is not a proof that is relevant. Remember that whenever an evidence is being used, there are two things that have to be considered. A, authenticity, and secondly, relevance. It has to be authentic and it has to be relevant. So yes, this is authentic. But is it relevant? No. وقال احمد بن شبيب حدثنا ابي عن يونس عن ابن شهاب قال حدثني حَمْزَةُ بن عبد الله عن ابيه قال he said, كانت الكلاب the dogs used to تبولوا the dogs would urinate وتقبلوا and they would advance وتدبروا and they would retreat meaning they would come and they would go في المسجد in the masjid في زماني in the time of رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم the dogs would urinate. They would come in the masjid and they would go. يكونوا, then they would not, meaning the sahaba, they would not, yarushuna. They would sprinkle شيء and anything minzalika on that. Meaning they would not sprinkle any water over where the dog was or where the dog went. They would not sprinkle any water over that. What? Shocked? There are two ways in which this hadith has been understood. One is that some scholars said, those who consider the dogs to be clean, that the dogs would urinate in the masjid. They would come in the masjid. They would go away from the masjid. And the people would not sprinkle any water over where the dog urinated or where the dog sat or where the dog stood. Nothing. And this is what it seems to be, apparently. If you read the text, this is what you might understand. Right? So this is why they said that the dog is clean. But, I mean, if the dog urinated somewhere, and if that area is wet, then obviously isn't it going to be unclean? The thing is that when it comes to mud, when it comes to mud, and remember that at that time, the floor of the masjid was sand, mud, right? So if it becomes wet, even with something that is nudges, okay? Once it becomes dry, that soil, that mud is clean again. You don't have to wash it Because you wash it What's going to happen? The water is going to be absorbed into the earth Just like that filthy water is going to be absorbed Likewise clean water would also be absorbed So dry earth Is a different thing altogether Once it becomes dry Then it is clean Which is why you can do tayammum with it And if this was not the case Then we could not do tayammum with mud at all We could not sit on mud at all Because a person might say Oh what if Once upon a time some animal defecated here Quite possible, right? Quite possible And if that was the case We wouldn't be able to use mud at all So mud is clean Especially when it's dry It is clean We know that if a person's shoes Let's say their sandals Their shoes get dirty I'm not talking about dirt as in mud Okay, this Filth is on them And a person walks over A wet patch of soil And then he walks over, dry patch of soil, then his sandals, his shoes become clean. He doesn't have to wash them with water. Once they're rubbed with mud, then they are clean. So likewise, if a dog urinated, sat there, whatever, and the area became dry, it was considered clean. Not a problem. Now this does not mean that if on a carpet... Okay, Or on some bedding If a child, for example, urinates You say that, okay, it's dry now, so it's clean No, carpet is different from mud It's different from mud Likewise, tiles are different from mud For example, tiles If there is urine on it, eventually it will dry But the traces will be there, obviously It will smell, it's still there So it has to be washed And I was just thinking about this yesterday I was talking to somebody about it that Mud is something amazing You know, your food, your nutrition comes out of it It is a means of purifying yourself You do tayammum with it right? You can wash containers with it It's amazing I mean, when we die, we go back into this soil This, And you find it anywhere, everywhere It's an amazing thing It itself is a big ayah, a big miracle A big sign of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala So in this hadith we see that when The dogs would come and go It wasn't a problem but other scholars have understood this hadith differently. How do they understand it? That they said, كانت tabulu," The dogs would urinate. Where? In the masjid, it's not mentioned. So they would urinate. And then they would advance. وتدبر And they would return to the masjid. So after urinating, the dogs would come into the masjid. And they would sometimes sit there or they would run across from there and it wasn't a problem. And when the dog sat somewhere in the masjid or slept somewhere in the masjid and obviously that part was dry, then the people would not sprinkle any water over that area to clean it. But it's understood that if a dog would urinate somewhere, then they would pour or sprinkle water over it. What's the evidence for that? Hmm? What's the evidence for that? That if a dog urinated somewhere, then it's understood that you have to pour water over it. Yes, the story of the Bedouin. The story of the Bedouin who came and urinated in the masjid and the Prophet ﷺ, he just poured water over that. So if human urine has to be washed off, then obviously dog urine has to be washed off too. Okay, But that's not the purpose of this hadith. The purpose of this hadith is to tell people that it's okay for dogs to come in the masjid. That if a dog passes through the masjid and it's dry, the feet are dry, the hair is dry, and if it sits somewhere, walks from somewhere, oh, you know, the, this dog came over here. No, don't don't freak out. Don't get too worried. Okay? Because it just passed by. You understand? Because some people, they get very like afraid of dogs and they don't like dogs at all. I remember once what happened was somebody had to come over to my house. It was a non-Muslim. And they came over and they brought their dog with them. And I was like, La ilaha illallah. <laughs> what am I going to do? And it was a very small dog. And it was in a bag. Like in a... Not, not a bag, but you know they have those carriers. Okay? So it was in the carrier. And she wouldn't let the dog out. And I was very grateful for that. I said, please, you know, I'm not that comfortable. My my son, he will be afraid. And he was genuinely afraid of the dog because we're not used to having dogs around. So she came and she put that... Carrier on my bed. And I'm just worried. What if the dog urinates? What if the dog urinates? What if something happens? But then she started telling me that I'm training my dog. This is why I had to bring him with me that as long as he stays in the carrier, he will not use the washroom. When I take him out, then he will. She said that I'm training my dog. So as long as he is in this carrier, he will not do anything. So she put him on my bed and There were no traces of it, nothing obviously. It was dry. So did I change my sheets? No, I didn't because they were clean. So remember that if it is dry, not a problem. But if it's wet, the saliva or the urine has come, then obviously you're going to wash off that area. Over here, what do we see? That when, if a dog ever came and slept somewhere in the masjid, Passed by the masjid Then they would not follow the footsteps of the dog Okay, this is where he went And this is where he was sitting And this is where he was sleeping So wash this area And wash this area And wash this area Like we start freaking out Don't we? Likewise, sometimes it happens That if in the house Some non-Muslim comes in and say, Don't use the wash They went in Let me clean it And then you go in No If it's dry There's no sign of any impurities Then consider it to be clean Okay If he licks a part of your clothes, then you have to wash that part. But definitely it has to be washed. If the dog is, let's say, licked your hand, okay, your neighbor's dog is very friendly, he jumps up on you and starts licking your hand, then what do you do? You will definitely wash up. Okay, but otherwise don't get too scared. This friend of mine, she's actually allergic to, you know, dog hair. So she always says, I'm allergic. Keep your dog away. Nice dog, but keep it away. So, فَلَمْ يَكُونُوا يَرُشُّونَ شَيْئًا مِنْ ذَلِكَ And like I mentioned earlier, this just shows that there were so many dogs that were there in Medina. So if, let's say, people came for salah and they see dogs sleeping over there, obviously when people would come, the dogs would run away, but they wouldn't bother to wash off that area. Remember that hadith, that if a person keeps a dog for no reason, like no genuine reason, Then every day, one qirat, and according to another hadith, two qirat of reward will be deducted from his deeds. Yes, one qirat or two qirat. Qirat is a huge amount of good deeds will be deducted. If they touch the dog, it's okay. But just tell them not to let the dog lick you. And don't don't touch the mouth. And if it's drooling and the saliva happens to come on your clothes or hands, then make sure that you wash up and change afterwards. It's a creature and there are benefits. Like in the next hadith, inshallah, we will learn about how the dogs are trained still for hunting and it's mentioned even in the Quran. Yes, it is unclean. The saliva is unclean. But like I said, don't start freaking out if you see a dog. It's not that big of a deal. You're scared? It's a different story. Also, sometimes it's because your parents are also like that, because I know, like before, I now I'm learning why, but all my life, like if I saw a dog on the side of the street, I'd actually cross the other side of the street just to get away, even if it was a tiny dog. So sometimes it's just also because the people around you are... Yes, but we have to kind of, you know, be a little more open to this, because we live in a society where dogs are very common, okay? And people, they take a lot of pride in their dogs, and if we you know, show some kind of negative reaction, then how are we meant to do Dawah? Literally, they treat their dogs like their children. I myself have seen some of my neighbors, I take my children for a walk and they're taking their dogs in the morning, in the afternoon. There are some dogs that I have seen so many times that I know, okay, this lady has this dog and this person has that dog. They will bring them to the park and they will make the dogs run and play. It is something... You know, it's something that that they value a lot. So, okay, yes, you're not going to keep them as pets. This is something that's not even going to be discussed. But remember that only the saliva is unclean. My neighbor once asked me that, why are you all so scared of dogs? Yeah. Like, uh, because both my neighbors have dogs. So I just told them because we're not used to having pets as dogs, like back home. Yeah so that's why we are so uncomfortable yeah like they yeah. they know that yeah and you can also tell them that before we pray we're required to clean ourselves and we consider the the saliva of the of the dog to be unclean so if that touches us then you know that means we have to wash up again so it's easier to stay away that you can actually start a conversation with somebody by praising their dog or asking about their dog i'm not saying that you start loving them or start keeping them as pets no they are also creatures of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They came to the masjid of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa as well. And it wasn't a big deal at that time. We'll just quickly read the next hadith. It's not much explanation. Hadathana Hafsu ibn Umar. Qala hadathana shu'batu an abis safari. An ibn Hatim. Qala nabi sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam sallama. Faqala idha kalbaka. He said that Adiyy ibn Hatim. He said that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa said to me. When you send your dog al-muallam. The trained, Fakatala And he kills, meaning the prey, fakul. Then you eat of it. When you send your trained dog to catch a prey, then if he kills that prey, then eat of it. وَإِذَا akala, But if he eats, فَلَا تَأْكُلْ Then do not eat. Why? Because if he ate of it, then that means he caught that prey for himself and not for you. فَإِنَّمَا أَمْسَكَهُ For indeed he restrained it, he kept it, عَلَى نَفْسِهِ For himself meaning he hunted that prey for himself this is why he ate out of it قلتو, i said ursilu kalbi i send my dog sometimes for ajidu then i find marhu with him kalban akhar another dog sometimes i send my dog to catch a prey but then by the time i get there there is my dog that has caught the prey and there is another dog as well over there a wild dog قال, he said fala then you don't eat of that prey fa because indeed not but Samita Allah Kalbik you said the Basmala on your dog when you sent him, you said Bismillah Walam to Sami, and you did not say Bismillah ala Kalbin Akhar upon the other dog. Now because of this, some scholars have said that look, the saliva of the dog is clean. Why? Because if the dog caught the prey and then you can eat of it, then obviously the dog's saliva touched it. So the other side of the story is that a scholar said that you're not going to eat the animal raw. You're going to cook it. You're going to clean it. You're going to purify it. And that's understood. You can remove the skin as well. And when a dog will will hold the prey, he will generally just hold it in his mouth. Right? Okay, the saliva will touch, but it's not that he will... Obviously, if he's eating out of it, then it will not be clean. Okay? Meaning that the saliva or the impurities have not necessarily gone inside the animal. You know how cats and dogs, they hold their young ones with their mouths. Do they cut through with their teeth? No. They're just holding the outside part. So likewise with the rest of the animals as well that they hunt. And even if a little bit, you know, does pierce the the skin, it's not a problem because you're going to cut it, you're going to cook it. So there's no harm in it. It's still unclean. So there are two opinions amongst the scholars concerning the dog being najis or not najis. سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك نشهد أن لا إله إلا أنت نستغفرك ونتوب إليك السلام عليكم the الله وبركاته.